Can God get through to a family living in a Hindu nation? Listen to this amazing story from Michael Huff. He tells us about a boy in Nepal who had been receiving visions. And his father says, oh, my my son is gifted. So he builds him a, a little room, gives him papers and pencils. And so the boy begins to write down these visions. Years later, missionaries brought Bibles to this family in Nepal. The young man realized that he had read some parts of the Bible before. So the boy excitedly runs away, goes into his his little room and brings out these notebooks. And as these evangelists are looking through the books, they realize that they're portions of the gospel. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma with Michael Huff. Michael is the Senior Director of Church Connection for one of our strategic partners here at VOM, Operation Mobilization, a great organization sending people out around the world and equipping the local people in a lot of different places. We're going to talk in particular today about Nepal, which is a place that Michael has spent 18 years serving, so he knows the country very well. And so, uh, Michael, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's talk about the state of the church in Nepal. Is it is it growing? Is it shrinking? Is it getting more free? Is it getting more persecution? Kind of give us just a little sort of 30,000-foot view of, of what the situation for the church is there. Yeah, presently the, the church is, is continuing to grow, uh, especially in the major cities. In that growth, it's actually facing even more persecution, probably more persecution right now than it has in the last six years since the new constitution was passed about a year and a half ago. But in that also is, is just a, a, a need to see the, the church then. It's, it's more of a mobilizing, mobilizing the church to some of those least reached areas in the country. Some of those areas still where there might be one church or just a couple Christians that, that uh, yeah, to mobilize the church into those difficult areas to, to see more fellowship started, yes. And when you talk about persecution, where is that coming from? Is that the family? Is that the government? Is that the police? Is it just kind of depend on the local area and, and who's in charge or— Kind of who who's the opposition to the church? Yeah, I think I think it, it does depend where in the country you're from. Along the border, uh, what, what we call the Terai, a lot of it comes in from India, and in fact, even in the in when we were seeing the the con- new constitution come out, a lot of it was pressure being brought in from India that that led to that. And then a lot of it is is, you know, when someone decides to to leave Hinduism and follow Jesus, a lot of that persecution comes from within the family or the village. And the thing is they have no one then to protect them. So normally the government or a, a local police will not necessarily step into that situation. So oftentimes the first line of persecution is the family. It's, yeah, often, it's your parents, it's your brothers, whatever. Often it is in the community that you're living in, okay. the village, yes. Now, you've mentioned the new constitution. 
what what did that do or what did that change as far as religious freedom? Yeah, well, when the government and the the Maoists, the communists, signed a peace agreement, Nepal was declared a secular state. But that was really only in term until the new constitution was written. And then, unfortunately, right after the earthquake, they happened to finalize <laughs> that new constitution and uh, with a lot of people unaware of really what it was saying. And, and really what it was saying was that it is illegal for anyone to change their religion or, or anyone to do anything that would then force someone to change their religion. And so in, in many ways, the, the wording was even stronger than the previous constitution about people deciding to leave Hinduism or Buddhism and follow Jesus Christ. For our listeners, many of them may be familiar with anti-conversion laws in India, which you mentioned obviously shares a border with Nepal. It's kind of the same philosophy that, that we don't want people to change their religion. We don't want people to tell people they should change their religion. That's right. And it's not even telling people that, that we want them to change religion. It's even just sharing openly about who Jesus is. So it's so loosely written that just me sharing about Jesus, someone could say, oh, you are trying to make them change their religion. So we, we feel like, you no, know, we should have the freedom to be, other, especially Nepalis, have that freedom to share about their faith, about their experience with God, and, and others to be able to listen and make decisions based on that. So with that new constitution, how has the church responded? Did, was there kind of a sense of uh-oh, bad times are coming? Or was there just a sense of, hey, whatever the government does is fine, we're still going to serve the Lord? I think it took a couple different routes. One is, I think there was some concern, but I think a lot of people were saying, hey, as Christians, we need to be talking about these issues. We need to educate other Christians about these issues. And so they understand what are what are our rights as citizens of Nepal? We love the country because Nepali Christians say, we this is our country. It's not about changing our culture and, and this and this and that. It's about Nepal and and knowing God and believing him and following after him. The changing constitution I, I left Nepal soon after that. But then at the same time, I see many organizations and churches just continue on as they were before. So so there have been a, a few Christians put in jail um, because of this change in, in the constitutional law. But the ones I'm thinking of, they were finally released. I think many people have continued what they were doing previously, sharing about Jesus. And I think part of this, just expound on this answer a little, I think part of the reason the church could do this was because of the earthquake. Many Nepalis, you heard them say, no one showed up to help us, but the church was here. Even the church that they persecuted was here to help us and serve us through a very difficult time in, in, in the villages. So once again, the the opportunity for the gospel comes through just meeting people's needs, very practically serving and helping in a time of, of real struggle. That's correct. But at the same time, the, uh, I think what is special, I believe is very special about the Nepali church, and I think really the Nepali people as a whole, to generalize the people, is that just hospitality and being able to have deep conversations with people almost minutes from the time you meet them, and talk about God and, and, and talk about our faith. It's a part of the culture to talk about the God that you love and that you serve. And so it's never wow. an issue of, of should I serve 
and also proclaim? Or should I just proclaim and not serve? We don't even get into those issues as much. It's, no, we do both, because part of it is just being being who we are in Christ. So in, in Nepali culture, it's very natural to talk about your faith and talk about what you believe. And Oh, it's very natural because the God you follow is is a part of everything you do from the time you're born to the time you die. So so why wouldn't that also then translate when we become followers of Jesus? Interesting. So talk to me a little bit about Operation Mobilization and your specific work in Nepal. What What's the focus of OM's efforts there? So, so in Nepal, wanting to equip them to be successful in what God is calling the national church to be, and in that also finding ways in which they could be sustainable, especially in communities that they're living in. We, we Often you hear that word of holistic mission. So we wanted to equip them spiritually and also equip them physically to be successful in the communities that they live in. And so also use those tools that we equip them with to reach out to their community. And we've seen this in incredible ways. I know uh, when the again when the earthquake when the earthquake uh, hit up in north in the Langtang area, many Nepali uh, OM teams were up there and other Christians that were just serving the people in very practical ways. And this this continued to show the people that we're here to build a relationship with you and continue to serve you. And is that work primarily Nepalis, or is that Nepalis and foreigners, or is it? mostly foreigners. It's primarily Nepali. Okay. Especially um you know as we as we get more in, into work that happens in the villages especially many of our remote villages. I say it's it's often a, a thing of perception. Often Nepali see westerners as as wealthy and and these things and so well you should come and help us. But when we change that paradigm and we say hey we send other Nepalis to help Nepalis it it creates an openness that often sometimes we don't see the other way around. Interesting, interesting. And I know Voice of the Martyrs has partnered with OM specifically in Nepal. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership and how that has worked? Yeah, so so a lot of that partnership is is especially in the western part of the country and communities and churches that we already had relationships with or opening those relationships up, we, we felt it very important that people receive the Word of God and under, to have that opportunity, of course, to read God's Word, to, to understand who, who really is God, this God that created me. And so we partnered together in seeing over 5,000 New Testaments distributed in that area. And just, again, in, incredible just opportunities for people to, to really read, who is this God that created me? And I think having been to Nepal, very few places you can appreciate the creator God more than Nepal. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Yes. I think I'll always remember being in an airplane and looking up at the tops of the mountains. That just kind of awed me. I'm like, wow, we are flying and the mountains are still taller than us. Yes. So if you're talking about the creator God, the God who created these mountains— and uh, I mean, I just think about those Nepali people looking at the mountains and thinking, wow, he must be pretty powerful if he made those. Yes, yes. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Michael Huff. He is with Operation Mobilization and spent 18 years in Nepal. Michael, were there some times during that 18 years where you kind of got to the end of your rope and were like, okay, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm done here. <laughs> and can you share a little bit about that and then share how God 
worked in that situation to say, no, 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 I'm not finished with you. Stay put. Keep working. Were there some times like that? Oh, there's, yes, there were. (laughs) (laughs) One or two. (laughs) Just one or two. Well, actually, the first was just right when I stepped off that plane and, and just just hit me the difference in culture, the religion. And um, honestly, it just really grieved my heart. I, I remember watching a man and his probably six-year-old daughter walk down the street. And as I'm passing them, they're coming up upon a temple. And she breaks free from her father's hand, running towards the temple and says, Daddy, can I ring the bell? And he says, yes, but only three times. And I, as she rang that bell, ding, 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 it just broke my heart because I know without a doubt that he loves his daughter. But the form of worship that he was teaching her would not lead to a personal relationship with, with her creator, God. And and I these stories just grieved my heart. And I it was so hard for me to, to preach the gospel, this good news, until the Lord really broke my heart. And he said, Michael... Your fight is not with the Nepali people. Your fight is with Satan, who has blinded the eyes of of the people that I have created. And that was a big change in my life and in my ministry. And God just put a love in my heart. And and from that day on, I try to remember who my enemy is. And it's not the people, but it it is Satan who has blinded their eyes. And then just, of course, as, as we continue to grow and just uh, take on more responsibilities in ministry, I think seeing how can we continue just to impact the church and encourage the church and, and help people grow is, is, is always a challenge, but, but worth the energy. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about what Operation Mobilization is doing, and particularly I want to ask about the issue of leadership development. What... Mm. What are the qualities that is needed in the Nepali church that you're trying to spot in people and then help develop, but also just take people and help them develop those qualities? What are some of the main kind of qualities that you're looking for that that the Nepali church really needs right now? Yeah. And none of this is probably unique to the Nepali church. Right. But but one is—a big thing is just humility. The words I always remembered as a leader was when Jesus— told his apostles, do not be amazed at the things that I do, for you will do even greater things than these. And for a leader to say that to someone is just an amazing amount of humility. That not that you will just do greater things than me, but I want you to do greater things than me. And my purpose for existence is to equip you to do that. And so I think that's a big thing in the Nepali church, and especially I think in cultures where where leadership tends to be more controlling and authoritarian, is to help them to empower people. We can go to, through hundreds of leadership courses, but until we're actually given a responsibility and authority of leadership, we will not grow as leaders. So I think that's a big thing for the churches, for people just to feel that freedom to allow people to send them out with the tools that they've given and let them make mistakes and grow as a leader. How do you prepare them to face hardship? I mean, we've talked about the fact that the gospel is not always welcome in the Nepali village where the person goes to share their faith. Mm. How do you get them ready to say, okay, this this could be costly, this could be painful, but I'm not going to give up? Well, I think Nepali's taught me how to... <laughs> To face hardship, you know, um, what an interesting question that you ask me, because I learned so much from them just naturally that that being sold out for Christ doesn't 
mean it's going to be safe. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, that we're going to have challenging times, but Jesus saved me, and I have this amazing connectedness to God that I never knew before and that I never knew I could have. Yeah, honestly, they've t- just working with the Nepali church, I have learned so much how to persevere, how to go through hardship, and how to to continue on even in the face of loss. And I know you had two of your female church planners that faced a really hard time and really exemplified that. Can you share that story? Yeah, so we had we had a couple young women that were working in a village and again, teaching some some things about adult literacy, but also in, in that time also sharing with villagers what we call chronological Bible stories from Genesis to Revelation, just in, in oral form, because a lot, a lot of the women and other people we meet in the village are, don't know how to read or write. And so so using oral forms of communication is, is very important. In this process, some people did come and make decisions to follow Jesus Christ, but in that one of the one of the men that came to faith was was what we call a spiritual medium in the village and when they would have their hindu celebrations uh th- this man used to manifest and then prophesy to the villagers and when he became a follower of jesus he stopped doing that amen yes <laughs> and of course this created a lot of animosity towards the new christians and our women and a lot of times people think that that people become Christian because they're going to gain something out of it financially and that's not the case and so and so one evening some of the villagers were were intoxicated and they're already upset and so they they attacked several of the of the Christians because of that we offered to pull out our two women but they said no we don't want to leave these People have come to faith, and we want to be here to disciple them, to help show them how to continue to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, and even continue to reach out to their community, not leave their community, but stay there and be salt and light. I think that's just an amazing example to us, uh, American believers, comfortable believers, that every— Every human reason and logic would say, yeah, you guys need to back off. You know, you need to come back. We'll get you some medical treatment. We'll get you fixed up. And yet they said, no, no, no. If we leave, who's going to disciple these people? Yes. yes, that's right. A lot to learn from them. Just just an amazing sense. And what's happened in that village since then? Yeah, so so the the, the fellowship continues to grow, and, and now— um, actually, two of the young men that 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 came to faith—they're leading that fellowship. Wow! And so, yeah, it's just an incredible story. And they've already seen the example of what to do when persecution comes, because they saw it right in front of them. So it won't be a surprise, and they won't be sidetracked if they face hardship. That's right. And I think a lot of a lot of things is just you know again is there's misconceptions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Misconceptions, you know, like like gaining some type of uh, monetary advantage because you become Christian. And so even through that whole thing, God really helped that team open the eyes of other villagers to know, no, these these aren't things that happen actually, you know, but but people get that choice to say, hey, this is who God is, and I, w- and I want to begin following him and seeking after him. 
I know another part of your work is helping American young people get involved in missions and get involved in, you know, maybe it's a short-term trip, maybe it's a long-term calling. What would you say to our listeners who are American Christians, and maybe God is saying, hey, you need to think about overseas work. You need to think about a mission trip. You need to think about going to country X. Maybe it's Nepal. Maybe it's somewhere else. How would you advise them as they're kind of starting to feel that sense of calling? Hmm. Yeah. One one is I would advise them to get in contact with someone that's already doing it. Someone to encourage them, to help them think through, hey, where is God maybe wanting to send me? And being involved in your local church right now, Nothing, nothing beats being involved in your local community to gain that experience. And sometimes I know it's difficult, but you will learn so much more about Christ and about your faith just by being challenged in your faith. And then really pray and ask, how does God want to use me around the world? You know, sometimes people are called to be church planters. Sometimes people are called to, you know, they're accountants, and God calls you as an accountant to go help support some work. There's many different ways to be involved in missions. And I think I think we, we often have that mentality or that picture that a missionary is someone who goes to another country and plants a church or just does evangelism. And that's not necessarily true. I always like to say a, a missionary is someone who God is, has just called to go work in, an, in another culture to be salt and light, in, no matter what God is calling you to do. And, you know, as you say, all of us are called to be salt and light. Whatever our environment is, whether it's an accounting office, whether it's in Nepal, whether it's in America, we're supposed to represent Jesus Christ to the people around us. That's right. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Michael Huff. He works with Operation Mobilization. Michael, God used a pretty amazing story as he was leading you down the pathway toward Nepal Mm -hmm. And then he kind of brought that full circle. And I'd love for you to share that with our listeners, because I I agree with what you said. It was God's way of, of gifting you. So can you share that story? Yeah. So as God was preparing me for really to, to, to go out and serve cross-culturally, I began reading a lot of books about missionaries and and one book I read that someone, a friend of mine gave me who mentored me in missions was from Dick Eastman from Every, Every Home for Christ, uh, Every Home Concerned in some countries, uh, wrote a book called Beyond Your Imagination, God's Plan to Save the World. And in that book, I read a story of a young Tibetan boy who begins having visions. And he shares these visions with his father, who is a Tibetan priest, a monk, and his father says, oh, my, my son is gifted. So he builds him a, a little room for him to be the, his son to be alone and gives him papers and, and pencils. And so the boy begins to write down these visions. Well, years later, a team of evangelists from Kathmandu, Nepalese, come into this village and, and, and they're handing out uh, gospel packets with just the gospel of John or Mark or Luke. And they meet this boy and his father, and they begin sharing with them, and they give him them one of these gospel packets. And the man is reading it, and the boy is reading it, and what they read becomes very familiar to them. So the boy excitedly runs away, goes into his, his little room, and brings out these notebooks. And as these evangelists are looking through the books, they realize that there's portions of the gospel. 
And it's just an incredible story. And, of course, the man and his son come to faith. The whole family does. Now, when you're reading this story, what year would that have been? Oh, this would have been in 1997. Okay. 1997, yes. And so in 1998 is when I went to Nepal. And I, and I just left about a year ago. And uh, about six months before I left Nepal, I went, I was invited by a pastor to go up and do some training. So I went up into the Langtang area, which is predominantly a Tibetan area, a Tamang and Tibetan area. And so I was up there doing the training and, and I met the pastor and, and it was the second time I've actually met this pastor. But one evening we're sitting around and I'm talking to him and I says, Pastor, share with me, how did, how did you become a follower of Jesus? And he looks at me, he says, well, when I was a little boy, I began to have visions. <laughs> and my father built me a little room for me to, to, to stay in and start writing out everything I saw. Well, Pastor Gilsong was this young boy that I read about so many years wow. before. And it was just, again, just God's way of saying, Michael, thank you for trusting me. And, and because that's what I believed it was, was just me stepping in obedience to what God was calling me to do, because he's working around the world. God, just like Dick Eastman says, God has a plan to change this world, and he invites us to take part in that. I love that story, and I love just the way God plants seeds, and then years later, we see that all along he knew exactly when he was going to need that seed to grow, and he was going to bring about the fruit uh, I just really love that. So the other part of the story that I would encourage our listeners is, uh, what what missionary books are you reading? What, what stories are you feeding into your mind that God is then going to fertilize and grow and use in 25 years from now? Maybe you'll run into one of the people you're reading about right now, today. And even our children, I just mentioned that, you know, them watching and watching stories about missionaries or or just people of our faith and, and reading books, it just, you are imparting that vision of who God is and how he can use them to really transform this world for his glory. As a young boy, my dad read to us, my brother and I, uh, books like Lords of the Earth and Bruchko mm-hmm. and some of those books. Uh, and I think those seeds are part of why I'm here at VOM. <laughs> they just yep. uh, planted those stories and planted uh, what God does with people who are willing to sacrifice and willing to serve him wholeheartedly. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Michael Huff. He works with Operation Mobilization. Michael, if, if our listeners want to connect with OM, what should they do? How could they do that? Yes, they could go to our website, om.org. And uh, they'll they'll see information where they can write in or they can um, call, and we'd be happy to answer any questions uh, if they want to hear more about what OM is involved in. Operation Mobilization is one of our strategic partners here at Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, We partner with them in several of the countries where we work around the world, so we're very thankful for their ministry and their work. Michael, thank you for being our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. As always, you can connect with us online at vomradio.net. Also, if you come to vomradio.net, you can subscribe to our podcast. 
so that you'll never miss an episode of EOM Radio. You can also send me an email or, or call me. Let me know what you thought of this conversation. You know, like Nepal, the country of India is home to hundreds of thousands of Hindus. Believers in Jesus have been allowed to practice their faith in India, but recently persecution there has been on the rise. Next week, we're going to hear from a gospel worker who just got back from India. He's going to tell us what he experienced and the stories of some of the people he met while he was there. I know you're going to want to hear that, so come back and join us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.